Well, today, we finished uh, Jonah last week, but I asked Kevin Brown to come and speak to us about um, what Jesus says was the sign of Jonah. So after, I'm going to call Colin Mays up first, but after Colin comes up and reads the passage, then Kevin Brown is going to lead us today. So Colin, why don't you come up and read for us Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 42, and why don't you stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Thank you very much, Colin. Appreciate that. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming out to uh, worship God and to fellowship with each other today. Now, I am a little glad that uh, Pastor Jason did not announce that I'd be preaching because uh, some of you might have run off to your Memorial Day plans a little early. (laughs) But uh, in all seriousness, uh, we're so thankful and grateful that you're all here. And uh, let's pray before we get started. Dear Lord, We just thank you for this day, and um, we just thank you for the reminder of Memorial Day like Pastor Jason uh, shared with us, and I pray we would keep that in our minds, Lord, and uh, be praying for the families uh, that are dealing with uh, difficulties during this time. And um, I just pray for the message today, God. I just pray that um, as I speak, uh, it would really be you speaking, Lord, and uh, not me. I don't have anything new to bring. It's uh, really just your word. So I pray you would uh, just speak through me and Uh, Maybe we can all learn something from it together. In your name I pray, amen. So like uh, Pastor Jason mentioned, over the past month or so, we've been studying through the book of Jonah, and we finished with chapter 4 last week. And so now this week, we're going to get into a passage where Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. And so first and foremost, we're going to take a look and see what we can learn about Jesus Christ. And I'm sure as we go along, we'll probably learn some things about ourselves too. And I will warn you, uh, we're going to be reading quite a bit of Scripture this morning, so I hope you got your Bibles at the ready. And so as we read the passage to start there in verse 38, Matthew 12, we can see the issue at hand. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So the Pharisees, they're coming to Jesus, and they call him teacher. And that might seem kind of like a sign of respect or of reverence. But as we'll see in just a moment, uh, the Pharisees did not believe the words of Jesus. They wanted some proof that he really is who he says he is. And so that's why they've asked him to perform this miracle and this sign for them. So in response to their, their question, Jesus mentions the sign of Jonah in verse 39. 
So we're going to dig into that. What, what is Jesus saying? What, what was he trying to communicate in saying that? And so to understand this, I think it will be helpful for us if we back up a little bit and uh, get some context for what's going on in this passage. So if you will, just turn in your Bibles just a, a page or two back to Matthew chapter 11. We'll read a little bit about this. So Matthew 11, look in verse 2, and I'm going to read through verse 6. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so in verse 2 there of chapter 11, we see that John the Baptist, he's in prison, and he's been hearing and he's been told about the ministry of Jesus. But if you look in verse 2, notice the wording. It doesn't say that John heard about Jesus. It says he heard about the Christ. And now it's kind of interesting uh, Christ isn't a name like Kevin Brown, Jesus Christ, first name, last name. It doesn't quite work like that. The term Christ is actually a title. It's the title of Jesus. Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. So moving on to verse 3, John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him a question. And the question is, are you Jesus, the one who is to come? a.k.a. the Christ. So move down to verse 4. And in response, Jesus says, You disciples, go and tell John what you've heard, which is the good news, and what you've seen. And it goes on to describe those various miracles that Jesus had done. So his response is basically, by the good news that I've been preaching and uh, the miracles I've been performing, you can be sure that I'm the Messiah. So people were asking, is Jesus the one? Is he the Messiah we've been waiting for? Do we get this right? So Jesus has given them the answer to that question. He says, yes, yes, that is right. So let's move down in chapter 11. Go down to verse 18. Verse 18 of Matthew 11. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So Jesus has just borne witness to John's disciples that he is the Messiah. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's sort of a fancy way of saying uh, the proof is in the pudding. Just, just look at it. You, you can observe true wisdom here. You can see this. And so now he's speaking to the crowds, not to the disciples. And Jesus is telling them, essentially, you know, you see John, and he had a unique style, if you will, and you say he's crazy, he has a demon. And uh, John actually spoke about me, and, and you didn't like that. And I have told you, and I've shown you, but you don't like that either. And so Jesus is calling out the fact that some people just didn't want to believe in him. There's no way he could be the Messiah. He's just a carpenter from Nazareth. And we see this happen quite often in our own time, don't we? There are some people who simply 
will not believe that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. And they choose to not believe. There's nothing new under the sun. So the question has been asked, is Jesus really the one? And Jesus gave the answer to that question. Listen to the message and look at the miracles. They're assigned to you. So still in Matthew 11, keep going, let's move to verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So he continues that thought, and now he's speaking to certain cities. By his message and by his miracles, he validated that he is the Christ. And it seemed for these cities that no matter what they saw or what they had heard, they refused to repent. They didn't want to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the coming one. And that sounds a little harsh, like Jesus, whoa, that's a little harsh, right? But he's making a very true observation. If the evil cities of Tyre and Sidon had seen what you guys have been given, they would have repented long ago. They had much less to go off of. But these people here he's speaking to, they didn't want to believe. And Jesus says they're going to be held accountable for that. And so with all that in mind, let's move down to chapter 12. And we're going to do kind of a, just a brief overview through chapter 12, and that will lead us up to our, our main passage for today. So Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So several things have been going on up until this point. People were asking, is Jesus the Messiah? And he's answered that question, and then he's been denouncing some cities that wouldn't believe that. And directly following these events, it says that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Oh boy, we already know where this one's going. <laughs> His disciples are hungry, and so they begin to pluck some grain to eat. The Pharisees see it, and there is a problem. They accuse Jesus. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. You're breaking God's law. So they accuse the disciples, but more importantly, they're actually accusing Jesus of breaking the Old Testament law. And so the Pharisees, they're locked into this way of thinking. Uh, they're looking at the outward actions of some people, and then they're making some pretty big assumptions. And Jesus is going to try to get them to adjust that perspective. So in Matthew 12, move down to verse 6. Jesus says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so Jesus is saying, you guys, the Pharisees, you think really highly of the priests and God's law and the temple, all these things, but I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. You're looking at it. So I'm going to read a cross-reference for you. Uh, you can turn there if you want. It's in Matthew chapter 9, just a few chapters back. This is very interesting. 
Uh, Matthew 9, starting in verse 10. And now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and with his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So a very similar thing happening back here in chapter 9. The Pharisees accusing Jesus of breaking the law, not following the system. And did you see there in uh, verse 13 of chapter 9 that Jesus uses a phrase that we just read in Matthew 12? It's actually a quote from the book of Hosea. And he says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus says in chapter 9, You're concerned about not breaking the law and staying clear of those sinners over there. But the words of the prophet Hosea show you that God actually has a different perspective. He wants repentance that comes out of your heart. He doesn't want just an adherence uh, to law or regulations. And so Jesus wants the Pharisees to see past just the religious rituals and the systems and understand that God actually looks into the heart of man. So you can flip back to Matthew chapter 12 now. Jesus has already told them once, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Well, obviously they haven't learned it yet. (laughs) He says in, in chapter 12, If you had known what this means, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. So the Pharisees still haven't changed. They're still uh, focused on following the law and looking pretty religious. They weren't really concerned about what was going on in their heart. So let's move down in Matthew 12 to verse 9, and I'm going to read through verse 14. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. So over and over, Jesus is trying to to tell them, you guys are stuck on following these laws and uh, looking pretty good, but you're missing what God wants you to understand. So it says there in uh, verse 9, he goes to the synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand. Now it's almost kind of funny It says that he goes there, and right away, (laughs) the Pharisees, they already question him. He doesn't have to say anything. They're already trying to accuse him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, for example, a man like this? So Jesus knows what's going on here. So he attempts to reason with them. He says, think about it. Even one of you would rescue one of your own sheep. 
out of a pit if it fell on the Sabbath. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But as we've seen before, and we're going to continue to see, they didn't want to change their minds. Man, look at this lawbreaker. We're going to teach him a lesson. So instead of changing their minds, they conspired to destroy him. So the Pharisees, they've seen a miracle. But instead of being joyful that the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is to come, has restored this man's hand, they persist in hardness of heart and in unbelief towards Jesus. So go down to verse 22 in Matthew 12, and I'll read through verse 26. Then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So we see that Jesus has done another miracle. And the people who saw it, they were immediately amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? Do you remember back to Matthew 11, John's disciples? They're asking the same question. Could this be the one who is to come? What did Jesus tell them? He said, listen to the message. Look at the miracles. For example, healing a man's hand, casting out demons. These give you confidence that I am the son of David, the one who is to come. But when the Pharisees see that miracle, multiple miracles, uh, they take a pretty hard left. Son of David? No, he's casting out demons uh, by the power of Beelzebul, by Satan. And so they don't want to believe that he is the son of David, the one who would come to save his people from their sins. They couldn't see past the fact that Jesus didn't quite fit into their mold of what they, what they wanted or expected. So in Matthew 12, verse 25, we read that Jesus knew their thoughts. He perceived what was in their mind. Now, that's a kind of a humbling truth to understand, isn't it? <laughs> that uh, Jesus perceives what is in our minds before it even comes out of our mouth. Or even if it doesn't come out of our mouth, Jesus still sees that. But anyway, Jesus is reasoning with them. He's trying to get them to change their thinking. And so far, nothing has worked. But Jesus is persistent. So he says, if I'm from Satan and I'm casting out Satan's own demons, he's divided against himself. His kingdom isn't going to be here for much longer. So what you're accusing me of, it really doesn't make sense. And so Jesus knew their thoughts when they said he was of the devil. And now after this little interaction of casting out the demon, Jesus called out the Pharisees much more directly than before. Look down at verse 34 in Matthew 12. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus has been trying to get them, uh, the Pharisees, to see that he is the Messiah. 
He's been trying to get them to understand that God looks beyond the rule following, uh, and he actually looks into the heart. And the problem is the Pharisees couldn't see past not following the rules. In Jesus, he's been quoting the Old Testament. He's been giving sound reason for the things he's been saying and doing. And he'll continue to do that. But in verse 34, we read there, he cuts right to their heart. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So not only did the Pharisees make evident what was in their hearts, uh, according to verses 14, 15, and 25, Jesus knew their thoughts. He already perceived what was in their mind. So again, he's tackling a Jesus. He's tackling a couple of different issues. Number one, is he really the Messiah? Yes, he is. And his, his message and his miracles, they've demonstrated that. The point of those miracles was that so people would believe it. And then number two, God looks beyond religious works to the heart of man. He wants repentant and humble hearts, uh, not just a following of rules. God wants a change of mind. And so now we arrive at our main passage for today. I know this was a lot of context and uh, background, but I think it's important that we understand kind of the big picture of of what's going on uh, in this story as we're now going to dive in to the smaller portion. So I'll read it for us again, Matthew 12, 38 to 42. Then, after all this, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So beginning our passage there in verse 38, after all of this, the Pharisees want to see a sign from Jesus. After hearing the message, seeing the miracles, they wanted some proof. They still aren't convinced that he's the Christ, that he is who he says he is. Now hold on, he's already shown them that. Multiple ways, right? He's made it clear by several miracles they they had just witnessed, and by his message. But they have rejected all of the signs that he's given to them. And the message is, look, Jesus is the Messiah. These miracles you've seen should cause you to believe that. And the problem is, they did not want to believe. He's healed a man's hand. They want to destroy him. He's cast out demons, and they say he's from the devil. They, and at this point in time, they've, uh, they've actually seen Jesus raise people from the dead. But they didn't want to believe that he is the Messiah uh, sent from God. And if you remember, when other people uh, saw Jesus' signs and miracles, the wheels were already turning. Could this be the one? Is Jesus the, the Christ? Is he the one we've been waiting for? 
But for the Pharisees, all these signs, all these miracles and the message, it wasn't enough for them. They already had hard hearts. They didn't want to believe it. So I just want to say this real quick. This group of people we're talking about here, the Pharisees, these were the guys with the long robes. They had memorized large portions of the Old Testament. And these were like the spiritual leaders over the people of Israel. So on paper, these guys look pretty good, right? But listen to how Jesus actually describes them. This comes from Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Can you imagine that being a description of our leaders of the church today? Like, yikes. Okay. <laughs> so the Pharisees, they've asked Jesus for a sign, but he knows that their hearts are evil, and they don't want to believe him. So let's read Jesus' response in Matthew 12, verse 39. They've asked him for a sign, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So as we mentioned, Jesus sees through the words of the Pharisees. Supposedly, they want to have their minds changed about him. Well, let's see a sign. Maybe he really is sent from God. But he knows they've already rejected him. They haven't believed him for the signs he's already given them. And if they continue on like this, they're not going to believe a new sign or new miracle either. And so Jesus describes it this way. He says, you're only going to get one thing, and that's the sign of Jonah. Verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <laughs> now remember the story of Jonah that Pastor Jason's been preaching through. Again, just a short synopsis. God calls Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, that wicked city, so that the people may repent. They were so evil that God was ready to wipe them out. God tells Jonah, cry out against that city. If they continued on with their evil, God would have to do something about it. But God wanted to give Nineveh a chance to repent, a chance to change their minds about their sin. And Jonah didn't like that. But God, those people deserve death. They're the most wicked, violent people on the face of the planet. So Jonah disobeys God. He runs away as far as he can, but God doesn't let him get too far. <laughs> he has the great fish swallow him up, and then after three days and three nights uh, in the belly of the fish, God puts him back on the land. And he tells Jonah a second time, go to Nineveh and cry out against it. Jonah obeys God, and the people decide to repent. It says they believed God. In, a, in essence, they said, God, we have sinned. You're right. We agree with you. And Jonah actually got pretty bitter about that, right? These evil people could just be forgiven because they repented and believed God? And in that process, God taught Jonah a lesson, or at least tried to, <laughs> about his own sinful heart. So that's Jonah, but back to Jesus. Jesus saw the Pharisee's heart, 
and he wanted them to repent. But so far, they had rejected every chance that Jesus gave them. They rejected the message, they rejected the miracles, the signs, everything. So because of that, Jesus says, you won't be given any signs, only the sign of Jonah. There's only one final sign that will be given as an opportunity for them to repent, to believe that he really is, that Jesus really is the Messiah. And this miracle and sign will be Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And well, how does that work? Let's dig into that a little bit. So God put Jonah into the belly of the whale, and Jonah was in a state of death, if you will, for three days and three nights. And after that, God brought Jonah to life. And then God used Jonah to bring about repentance from an evil and foreign nation. Wicked people went from unbelief to belief. In a similar way, God put Jesus in the heart of the earth. It was necessary for him to die. And he was certainly dead for three days and three nights. But God brought Jesus to life. Amen? And then after that, God sent out the good news of Christ so that evil foreign nations might go from unbelief to belief. So Jesus and Jonah, both men dead, at least Jonah figuratively in a sense, dead, if you will, and made alive to preach God's message of salvation, giving the world a chance to change their minds, a chance to repent and to say, God is right. The way that we thought before, it was wrong. We believe him now. So now we circle back to Matthew 12. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the sign of Jonah. Seeing Jesus alive again would be the Pharisees' one last chance to repent and to believe that he really is the Christ. Unfortunately, Jesus knew that this was pretty unlikely for the Pharisees to do at this point. So he continued with a pretty strong statement. Look in verse 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh did repent when Jonah preached to them. The Pharisees did not repent when Jesus gave them miracles and preached to them. And to top all this off, Jesus is greater than Jonah. So do you, do you see the problem here? Jesus says that the spiritual leaders of Israel are to the point where they will be condemned when compared with the idol-worshiping and murderous Ninevites. Oh, okay then. <laughs> So look at what Jesus says next in verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And then Jesus gives after this an example of an Old Testament Gentile turning to God. This is a story that the Pharisees would have been pretty familiar with. And he said, not only will the men of Nineveh condemn you Pharisees because they chose to repent and you have not, 
Here's an example of a foreign leader who came from a faraway land to hear uh, the wisdom of Solomon and to learn about the God of Israel. And Jesus says that that condemns the Pharisees. But why is that? Because Israel was meant to be a light to the nations, to draw people in to hear God's truth. And like Solomon, the Pharisees were also supposed to be drawing people in to hear the truth about God's Messiah. But they refused to do that. They themselves didn't even believe in God's Messiah, who was right there in front of them. Much less are they going to go out and tell other people about him. And in fact, this idea of the Gentiles or other nations coming to repentance, believing God, that's something that the Jewish people and the Pharisees did not like. They wanted to keep God to themselves instead of sharing the hope and forgiveness of Christ with the rest of the world. So listen to Acts 13. Uh, this is Acts 13, 44 to 47. You can turn there if you like, or you can just listen. <clears throat> this is also quite interesting. Acts 13, 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many of them as were pointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook the dust off their feet against them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So did you hear that? Paul and Barnabas, they're here to proclaim the word of God, to preach the gospel. In verse 45 of Acts 13, the Jews saw the crowds. Oh man, look at these Gentiles, they're hearing the word of God. And what does it say after that? It says they are filled with jealousy. They start to revile Paul and Barnabas to contradict the true message that was being preached. But that doesn't stop Paul and Barnabas. You go down to verse 46, and they say, basically, the word of God was preached to you first. It was given to you. Uh, you've been given the law, the prophets. You have everything in front of you. Uh, but since you want to thrust that aside and you don't want the truth, we're going to go to the Gentiles. Maybe they will listen. And it says the Gentiles were rejoicing. Hallelujah! They, are, they have heard the gospel, they are believing it, and they are happy to receive it. Now, unfortunately, the people of Israel rejected Christ as the Messiah, or at least a majority of them did, and God took the message of Christ to the rest of the world, to the people who might listen, and that made Israel very jealous. Now, you remember Jonah's attitude? He was also a little spiteful at another nation uh, being forgiven, 
and turning to God. I believe it's an example of something every person cannot seem to get away from. Pride. It all stems from pride. Pride that comes out of our sin nature, out of our sinful hearts. Oh, God likes me because I follow the rules. I must be good. I'm not, I don't do the bad stuff that those people over there are doing. The Pharisees were prideful. They were self-righteous. They were fixated on condemning the lawbreakers, the bad people. But Jesus wanted the Pharisees to know that God does not desire to condemn the lawbreakers and the bad people. He wants wicked Nineveh, the Pharisees, the Queen of Sheba, Jonah, all of them to repent. Because in front of God, all people are equal. God shows no favoritism. And in God's eyes, nobody can get one up on somebody else. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And only Jesus has the authority to forgive the sins of anyone who would put their faith in him because he is the Christ. And so as we wrap up, the point of Jesus doing these signs and these miracles was that so people would see the connection. This is the Messiah who we've heard about. I have a sin problem. Only Jesus can take care of that sin problem. I'm going to put my trust in him. And Jesus wanted the Pharisees to do this also. So let's talk some application. Jesus said that the Pharisees would receive the sign of Jonah, which is his death and his resurrection. But at that time, they had yet to see it. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, here's something to consider. Today, we have been given this sign. We're on the other side of the cross. We know that Jesus died for our sins and was raised to life. So what have you done with the sign that you've been given? The sign of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. <laughs> Got to find my place here. <laughs> There's two options. You can believe it or you can reject it. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, believe him. Trust him today. Don't be like the Pharisees who hardened their hearts and disbelieved. Be like the people of Nineveh. Although they were evil, they chose to repent and trust in God. It doesn't matter how sinful you think you are. The first step is to just acknowledge that you have a problem between you and God because of your sin. You must recognize that God is perfectly holy and he must deal with your sin. Now, if we held up a bank statement here, we sin, there's now a debt on our account, and it cannot be left unpaid. But here's the thing. Jesus paid that debt with his own death to deal with our sin. And there's only two ways to pay that sin debt to God. Number one, you can pay it yourself, but the wages of sin is death. Or you can change your mind about God, that's repentance, and let Jesus pay it for you. If you believe that God sent Jesus Christ as the way to deal with your sin, he will forgive you. And if he forgives you of your sin, that means he no longer holds anything against you. Your account is debt-free. God will forgive even the most wicked, vile, murderous sinner if they turn to him in faith 
and repent and say, God, I've been wrong. You're right. If you want to talk to someone or you have questions about this, after the service, please find Pastor Jason, find one of the elders, myself. We would love to listen and talk with you. Now, if you're hearing this and you are saved, you've already believed in the sign of his death and his resurrection. What are you doing with that sign? What we should be doing is telling other people about it. In fact, telling all people about it. Because unlike Jesus, we don't know the hearts of people. We can't be the judge of whether or not we think a person can or can't be saved. All that we have to worry about is, am I being faithful to share the gospel with as many people as I can? Because the world is perishing, and God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should should come to repentance. And God wants all people to know him. Therefore, we should share with all people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, and I just thank you for um, how true it is, God, and uh, just the power in it. And I just pray that um, as we think on these things and we think on your word throughout this week, um, that it would impact our lives, God. And as we come into contact with people, uh, we don't know their hearts, God. We don't know where they stand with you. So I just pray that um, every opportunity we can, um, as the world is perishing, that we share the message of Christ and um, we just share the hope that you've given us to other people so they can experience forgiveness as well. And uh, dear God, as we turn to communion as well, I just pray that um, we just set our focus on you during that time, God. And um, yeah, just thank you for the opportunity we have to remember your death and your resurrection. In Christ's name, amen.